Welcome to the Kickpod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. Hello. Hello, Lizzie. How are you? Hello, everyone. Hello, Steffi. I am good. I mean, we are going to keep this intro full of energy and not speak about the weather we've had this week, which is putting a bit of a dampener on our mood, but that's okay. We're getting yeah, through. We're getting through. We're getting through. And we're also not going to spend too much time on this intro because we are so excited about this podcast. This yes. podcast <laughs> chat was so amazing and it really did brighten our mood getting to speak to the amazing Taria. So we will we will uh, just do our quick special shares for you guys. Lawsy, what's yours this week? Wow, you really didn't want to do an intro. You I, were like, no. do, not, <laughs> do not go rogue again. Okay, I will not go rogue again. I, I will go straight into I just don't want to speak I'm about ready, the weather again. Ready to go. So my special share is a series that I have just finished on Netflix called Emily in Paris. You finished it? Yes. Well, the episodes, it's only 10 episodes and they're only about 25 to 30 minutes each. So Mm -hmm. it is one of those series that you wish there was more episodes. Now, when I first started watching it, I thought, oh no, this is very corny and it's just, I can't get into it. It's very similar. I don't know if anyone will relate to this, but I find a lot of the Netflix made movies are very corny and you can predict what's going to happen but I kind of like it sometimes because I'm like ah easy watching anyway so I decided to stick with it because it is um I think I don't know if it's directed or it produced but anyway it's from um Darren Starr I think his name is who did Sex in the City so I was like okay mm. I really like Sex in the City and I've just finished watching it so maybe this will you know just make me happy <laughs> but by the fourth episode I was hooked like it takes a while to get into it. I think also because we can't travel, seeing a show set in Paris was amazing. And I've heard that it hasn't been great feedback from actual people that live in, in yeah. Paris on how they were um, kind of depicted in the show. But anyway, if we look past that, it's fantastic. It's about this young um, American woman that goes and works in a PR agency in Paris and what her adventure is like and there's also love there's like a couple of guys that she chooses between and I'm really hooked like I was really sad when it ended last night and I was googling like will there be a season two so I highly highly recommend also it's kind of reminds me not really like the bold type and younger but just maybe like the bit of the career perspective kind of reminded me and I like those shows too so Yeah, I was going to bring up Younger because I watched Emily in Paris. It was funny. The other day, um, Laura and Michelle from our team both spoke about Emily in Paris and was like, everyone's going to watch this. And I'd watched the first episode and literally like had to force myself to finish the episode. Like I just couldn't. I don't know. I I couldn't. And I thought it was, as you said, like it's that classic kind of Netflix corny, um, predictable stuff. And I think just because I've been re-watching some of my old favorites that I just think are so like perfect in so many ways like Friends and um and even like Gossip Girl and and all these old shows that I used to love watching when I watch a new show now I've got like this all this pressure from like the old classic shows do you know what I mean like yes um anyway and I think I was the same with Younger like you recommended Younger to me as well and I watched probably five of those episodes and couldn't get into that anyway so it might just not be my taste I might need something a bit more and I think back to the shows that I I mean other than Friends I mean actually no Friends is a good example I think I like 
comedies. I think I like, you know, like Blackish, um, New Girl, Modern Family, um, Friends. Like all they have in common is that the the main kind of part of it is very um, based around comedy and it's funny and easy to watch in that way and you can kind of watch it in any order. Um, I found it similar with the bold type. Like you've got to really kind of stick to it for me to stay interested. If I Mm. didn't stick to it, I just like lost interest straight away and didn't really want to catch up on it again. So, yeah, maybe um, I'm just not into those kind of shows. But I have heard really great and interesting reviews on Emily in Paris. There is so many memes on the internet about it. Yes, there is a lot of memes. But, I mean, we don't like the same things of everything. We don't. This is a perfect example of it. Sometimes, yeah, we don't. some shows we do like, sometimes sometimes we don't. Anyway, I'm guessing your special share is not telling us why you don't like Emily in Paris. So. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> what is your special no. share? No, my special share is a show that we both found uh, very interesting. So, as you said, we do have the same taste <laughs> in certain things. This is like a very important um, short film, movie, documentary, whatever you want to call it, that I think everyone should watch. And it's Our Planet with David Attenborough, of course. And I just found it so interesting I couldn't take my eyes off of the TV I just thought not only is it obviously so beautiful like all the content that his team produces and puts out there and um, I find so fascinating because nature is just so beautiful but all the facts and everything watching the how earth has changed even in his lifetime and their predictions of the next lifetime and everything was just so unbelievable um, really recommend watching it. I know there is so much out there about, you know, the environment and all the changes that are happening around the world already, but I think there's something about David Attenborough that just makes you want to listen to every single word he has to say. Um, And I just think there's a lot to learn there. And I think a lot of it is stuff that we probably already know in the back of our heads, but I suppose we're a little blindsided to it because we're not out there and seeing the changes that are actually happening um, physically to the wilderness. So yeah, I really enjoyed it and I think everyone should watch it. Agree. I think it was a totally different perspective on how you usually feel when you're watching things mm. on sustainability um, and change that needs to be made. It was, it kind of put, he put it back on us because obviously mm. anyone that watches it will see we can either fix the planet or the planet will fix itself without us. Like that's kind of, he, exactly. and, he kind of and that's what was, what I thought was fantastic. It wasn't kind of like, you must do this now, like yelling. It was just no. kind of like, this is a scenario, you need to make a choice. And and I think it will speak to a lot of people that haven't bought in. And I mean, they definitely should have. Sustainability is so important, but they mm. haven't really realised how serious it is and, and that we do need to make changes. So I, I think it's really powerful. A hundred percent. I mean, the the message is that the world actually isn't going to end. It's just that we'll probably become extinct if we don't make changes. So it's like, okay, the world's going to go on without me. Um, yeah. Anyway. And on that note, I mean, we're, we're going from a very low to, to a big high because our guest today, um, as Steph mentioned, is the incredible Taria Pitt. And we are so excited mm. to have her on, I think, especially during this time in our lives in 2020. We have all been struggling so much with finding hope and, and I suppose there's joy in our lives. And mm. Taria has just released a book which is called Happiness and Other Ridiculous Aspirations. And we speak all about that. I think it's something that we all need through this time. Uh, we also, Taria, we wanted to tell 
you a little bit about her backstory before we started the podcast because we didn't go so much into it in the podcast, which I thought was great mm. because we got to speak about what's happening in her life now and, and all the amazing mm. um, wisdom she has to share. But Taria was caught in a grass fire while running an ultra marathon back in 2011 and 70% of her body was burnt. She had to learn to talk and walk again and she has had an amazing recovery and, and just become a huge inspiration for so many people. Oh, absolutely. And it was just one of those conversations that left you feeling so motivated. And she's actually hilarious. I spoke to a few friends after the podcast because they asked how it was. And I was like, she's really funny. And they were um, really excited to hear it. So we hope you guys enjoy this chat as much as we did. Hello and welcome to the Kickpod, Drew. We are so excited to have you and we want to start with a very basic but very important question. How are you going at the moment? Yeah, I mean, that's one of those questions. It's like, do I just sound good or do you want me to give you like my whole life story? Uh, no, I actually feel really good today because um, I've done some exercise. I did my TRX, it's called TRX Ignite class. So that sounds mm. like, you know, really hard so yeah just wanted to put that in there (laughs) uh I start every morning I think of like three things that I'm really grateful for and so this morning it was for um I dropped my son off at preschool and uh we got a baby chino before he went to preschool like that was a really cute cute experience um grateful to my mum because she's here today helping me with my little baby while I'm doing uh this podcast and some other things for work and also grateful for my coffee. So that's how I like to start start my days thinking about what I'm grateful for. And so today I actually feel I had a good night's sleep. The baby slept well, so I, I had a good night's sleep. So I feel like well-rested, happy, excited, energised. But I don't feel like this every day. You know, some days we wake up, we might be cranky, stressed, tired, irritated, mm. resentful. And I think what I do when I feel that way... I don't try and bullshit my way out of it. I don't try and just pump myself up. I just say to myself, yeah, you're feeling shitty. That's okay. It's a perfectly valid emotion. And because I allow myself to sit in it and to feel it, I find that for me, that feeling dissipates a lot quicker. Agreed. Yeah. I think that yeah. is such an important message. I've heard you speak about that before with with um, your emotions and just letting to actually sit in them. And um, earlier in the year, I went and saw a psychologist because I was just kind of getting so frustrated with my emotions and not being able to control them and everything. And she was the one that kind of taught me, you don't need to try and control them. You don't need to be upset with yourself for feeling sad or for feeling frustrated. Like it's all just normal emotions. You need to be able to sit with them and stuff. And I just think it's such an incredible message because obviously there's things that you can do to, you know, try and make yourself feel a little bit better and everything. But like, it is also really important to accept those downer days or feelings. Yeah, well, I think it's really empowering. And like sometimes, you know, you might be jumping on a, a podcast interview and you can't be in a really down, dejected state because you've got to try and bring your best game. Um, so there's things that you can do. You can work out. You can think about what you're grateful for. You can change your focus, ask yourself different questions, try and look forward to a positive event in your day. But I think it's really important, if we can, to allow ourselves to sit in those types of emotions. And of course, like feeling resentful or angry or shitty they're not it's not comfortable they're not Mm. comfortable emotions and of course we'd rather feel happy and excited and motivated and energized but I think we can't just feel those 
good emotions or those positive emotions we have to kind of feel the whole the whole spectrum which you know they're all part of life they're all part of this human experience yeah absolutely I I couldn't agree more and I mean in 2020 it has been there's been more days like that than there are most years Um, but I mean that's okay and it's so nice to hear you say that it's okay to feel that way because I think sometimes it sounds so silly but you need someone to tell you that just sit in these emotions Mm. it's normal and especially coming from you someone who's who's so inspiring um, I think that will help our community so much so we'd love now to talk about your childhood what were you like as a kid um, and, and what was your childhood like? Yeah, I had a, I had a fantastic childhood. I have um, two very strong-willed, independent parents who lived... Um, I guess they lived life on their terms. They weren't particularly concerned about what other people thought of them and so if they wanted to do something, they would just do it. Um, I think I really learnt that from my dad, actually, because he's tried so many different things... Um, he's failed at a lot of things as well. But the thing I admire about my dad is he was never afraid to give things a crack. So like he, a couple of years ago, he decided that he wanted to sail around the world. So he moved to Queensland, bought a boat, spent about a year doing it up in Rockhampton. And I was just thinking, he's, you, you, you're mad, dad. Like, why would you do that? Why would you like, why would you do that in, in Rockhampton of all places? And then he got that boat and actually sailed it around the world. Um, so I, I've always looked at dad's example and I thought, you know, it, it was a really inspiring way to live a life, to, to back yourself and to believe in yourself. And if you're going to do something to decide on it and just get it done. Um, my mom, she's a beautiful, beautiful woman. Everyone who meets my mom always raves on about how cool she is and how awesome she is and how <laughs> lovely she is and I'm like okay cool enough about my mum what about, what about <laughs> me now uh, she's got she's got a, she's got phenomenal energy she loves life she's got an ins- insatiable zest for life and she's a writer so she I've got three brothers so she had a full-time job she had four kids at home she would go to work she would cook she would clean we would all go to bed and then she would pull out her old clunky typewriter and start writing. And so I found that really inspiring as well because no matter what happened during the day, she still managed to prioritise spending that time on herself and doing something that was meaningful for her. So, yeah, I had a, I had a really, really great childhood. I had really, really great role models around me. I love hearing about people's childhoods and, and, and their role models when they were growing up and kind of realizing okay that's why you are who you are like it's it's you are such an inspiration and and your energy and and the way that you kind of set a goal for yourself and get it done it's so cool that you've obviously taken those kind of traits from both your parents yeah and I mean like we're the average of the five people that we spend the most time with hey so like I guess Mm -hmm. I got really lucky I had a really big head start because I had two really strong strong strong-minded independent strong-willed determined individuals as parents um, that was sort of my 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 blueprint for life, I guess. That's really beautiful. Um, as Laura touched on earlier, the world's going through quite a crazy, it's crazy. time. And very, <laughs> yeah, very difficult and crazy time. And a lot of people, you know, it's kind of the first time they've ever gone through something this difficult. And you've spoken so inspiringly about, you know, after the fire, knowing that the only way was up. Can you speak to finding that kind of inspiration in such a tough time? Yeah, I guess... Part of it is is not 
is not having that expectation on yourself that you're going to be able to find a silver lining or trying to find the positives. I think it's really empowering just to say, hey, what a shit year, you know? Mm-hmm. That's fine. It's, it's crap. Um, I don't love it, but I'm just going to get up each day, do what I can to get through the day, and hopefully next year will be a better year. I think that mentality as well, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to, to be positive, to stay positive, to, to find the light. And I think, you know, all of that stuff is really cool and really awesome and really important, but I don't think it's necessary when you are actually in the midst of going through something really tough and really hard. Um, mm-hmm. I think, again, just like accepting how we feel on different days, there's a real power and beauty in accepting that whatever you're going through right now is is a shit time. Um, you know, you don't need to try and put a positive spin on that straight away. Um, the, the second thing I always advise people to do is to try and get some perspective. Um, there's a lot of different ways that we can get perspective in our own lives. And I've always really liked reading books and finding out about other people's lives and how they've approached their journeys. So for this year, you know, Eddie Jacku, he's just released a brilliant book called The Happiest Man on Earth. He's a Holocaust survivor. I don't know if you, have you girls read that book yet? Laura's read it. Yeah. I actually, um, we sent it to everyone in the kick team because I just, after reading it, I just thought it was the most beautiful yeah. book. And for this year, just the focus on, and I saw you post yeah. about it. That, that's how I how I bought yeah. it. And then I loved it so much. And the focus on hope and finding that hope, I thought was just so inspiring. Yeah, and like he had, like I interviewed, for my, I interviewed Eddie for my book on happiness. And he was probably my favourite interview because um, what he said was so simple but so profound like he just had really simple things like you know be grateful for the people that you've got in your life make time for family and friends really savor and appreciate the relationships you have with people around you um you know just really simple things like that but I think it's never been more relevant or more timely for us to to listen to that sort of stuff so I think firstly just to accept what you're going through is, is a really tough time or a shit time or however you want to say it And then secondly, try and get some perspective on your own life and your own situation. And you can do that by, you know, listening to podcasts. You can do that by reading books. You can do that by watching really inspiring movies like The Diving Bell and the Butterfly or The Intouchables, things like that. There are really good ways to get some perspective on your own life. And the last thing would be to try and change your focus because I think... You know, we're all humans, so we all have a tendency to get really caught up in our own heads and to be um, potentially a little a little self-absorbed. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing because that's just how we're wired. Um, so I'll give you an example of that. Um, so earlier on in this year, we had really bad bushfires on the east coast of Australia. And my hometown where I live was surrounded by fire. We had fires burning um, to the west of us, to the north of us, to the south of us, I was pretty much trapped. And of course, having survived being burnt mm. by fire before, I was terrified. Mm. I was scared. I was panicking. And I was heavily pregnant at the time. I was eight months pregnant. I had my toddler at home. And that whole time, I was just almost obsessing about how these bushfires were affecting me personally. And so that whole time, where was my focus? It was it was on me. I was obsessing and I was ruminating and I, I, I was 
potentially a, a little self-absorbed. And as soon as I switched that focus and asked myself, well, what, what could I do now that's going to help others? What could I do that could be of service to my community? What could I do that's going to be of service to all of the fire-affected communities around Australia? As soon as I started thinking that way, um, it was it was almost like all of that fear and that anxiety and that terror dissipated. And it was from that that we created uh, Spend With Them. It was a social initiative. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it, but it was it was basically just an Instagram page where we profiled businesses from fire-affected communities. Um, and that means, you know, anyone from all over Australia could look at the homeware store that we profiled in Milton and buy something from that homeware store support that local community and boost the town morale um, in general. And the, the campaign went crazy. We had close to 200,000 followers in only a couple of days. And for me, that experience really crystallised how, particularly in times of fear or stress or anxiety or terror, how important it is for us to be able to shift our focus away from ourselves and onto doing something for someone else. I think that's, I think that's really important. Oh, we definitely saw it. I loved, absolutely loved that campaign. I thought it, it was so fantastic. And um, uh, yeah, it's so crazy to think that that was this year. I know. This it's been a crazy year. Like it yeah. has. It's been so crazy. But I, but I think it's really important. And, and I'm so glad you, you we, I mean, we we're going to bring it up anyway, of course, because it's just so such a fantastic initiative. But it's important that people remember because I think because we face so many things this year, we forget about all of the, the beautiful communities and, and mm. the businesses that were affected by the bushfires and they still need support. Yeah, totally. So, totally. I mean, the thing is, I really, I really believe that you know, it would be great if we could learn about resilience and grit and gumption by listening to a podcast or listening to someone speak. And of course, we can get tips and we can get insight on that sort of stuff. But I think, you know, the only real way that we learn resilience is by going through hard times. And the only way mm -hmm. we get grittier is by testing ourselves. And so I think this year for a lot of people, for sure, it's been, it's been a hell of a year. It's been an extremely tough year. But I also think a lot of people come out the other end being more resilient, being grittier, having more gumption and, and just having that belief that when things get tough, they do ha have those inner resources to get through and to pull through. Absolutely. And, and you touched before on what Eddie Jacques said about focusing on relationships. How important have your relationships been in your life um, to, for getting through tougher times? Oh, like... The most important thing for me, I think uh, I'm probably someone who can be probably a little too goal focused and a little too um, much probably like, you know, you, you two, are, you strike me as being very ambitious and very um, career driven and very focused on your goals. And that, that's not a bad thing at all. I'm, I'm a bit the same, but I do have a tendency to put my relationships to the side and put all of my energy and focus into pursuing what I want to get done in this world and so I think you know out of everything my experience taught me that our relationships and our relationships you know with each other but particularly our spouses in our families really that's it's crucial that's the thing that's the most important especially when shit comes down to the wire and I had brilliant support around me you know I had amazing nurses I had brilliant doctors, I had heartless physiotherapists, 
I had an incredible, phenomenal mum who was there with me every single day. And I had my partner, my beautiful partner, Michael, who was there with me every morning at seven o'clock. He'd walk through those hospital doors and he'd be with me the whole day. So I really don't think I would be where I am today if I didn't have such phenomenal support around me and people who who believed in me and who and who supported me. And I, I remember I decided that I wanted to do an Ironman and I had no idea what an Ironman was. I just thought it was like the guy in the back of the Nutri-Grain packet. <laughs> and I told my family, right? And, you know, Michael and mum didn't say, oh, well, you know, the doctor said that you might not be that physical again. They didn't say, oh, I don't know, that might be a bit, bit too much for you to bite off. They just said, awesome idea, great idea. Like, let's get you training for this Ironman. My mum pulled out a photo from a magazine of an athlete, a runner, and she stuck it on my hospital wall. And every morning when they'd come into my room, they'd say, okay, what are we gonna do today? How are we gonna get you working, get you training for this Ironman? And for them, like, they probably never thought I was gonna do an Ironman. They probably thought I was a little bit delusional, but they they supported me and they helped me to make that that dream a reality. But I mean, you guys would, would know that too, right? Like if you've got a really big goal that you're working on or that you're working towards, you need you need people around you. You need support. You need a great team of people to help you get there. It's so impressive. Seriously, doing an Ironman. <laughs> I am. Um, I my partner's actually training for one oh at the my moment, God. and it is just insane. <laughs> which one? The which, training. Which one is he training uh, for? Well, he wanted to do the one that was coming up soon, but Kina. now it's been Kina. No, yeah, it's been cancelled. Cancelled. And then, I, I, oh no, he's, he won't be in the oh, world, okay. it's his first one, it's his first one. But um, then yesterday he came up and we're meant to be getting married um, on the 20th of Feb and he said, Laura, I'm just wondering, there's an Ironman in Geelong on the 21st of Feb. No. Do you think I could do it? And I was like, look, I'm, I'm really supporting your dreams, but I'm not supporting your <laughs> dreams to do an Ironman the day after our wedding. I'm so sorry. No, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean you, need to, you need to be dedicated to the Ironman. You should really move your wedding so that he can focus. <laughs> focus no, Drew, do not. Do not put the idea of moving their wedding in their heads again. It's already been moved like three times. Well, did you guys have to move it because of COVID, I'm assuming? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yes, we did. Oh, that's annoying. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's fine. It's uh, it's fine. But yeah, it's just an Ironman. It's just, I would love to do it. Um, I was actually oh speaking God, to Steph about it. it yesterday. You guys should but do it. But the swimming, the no, swimming, I love running. I can't swim. No, I'm not a Laura, swimmer either. Have... I'm not a swimmer yeah. either. I, that was like, because I, I did Ironman World Championships, right? Because I did my first one in Port Macquarie. Then I got invited to do the World Championships. And I went over there. And in Australia, I felt... I, don't know. I felt kind of cool because, you know, like I'd done an Ironman and heaps of people knew about it. And I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, kind of like this, you know, it's really good triathlete. <laughs> I'm a big yeah, deal. I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> then I went to Kona. No one knew who I was over there. There was these super buff, super fit triathletes, like cycling their bikes down the street, saying to each other, I've only done 150 kilometres on my bike today. I'm going to go do another 100. They were doing like chin-ups down the beach, wearing these like, really tiny little speedos and I felt so felt so intimidated and insecure and like totally out of place like I like I didn't belong there at all but for me the swim was the most intimidating part of the the whole triathlon Mm -hmm. and once I 
got off my bike. So the Sims uh, four kilometers and it's a 180 kilometer bike ride and then a marathon. So once I'd done the swim, I was like, okay, cool. That's that done. Now I've got to do the bike. And then once I did the bike, for me, I was like, cool, I've done it. Like I'm, yeah. I'm home now because I'm, because I'm actually a good runner. Terrible swimmer, terrible cyclist. But you did it. I did it, yeah. Mm. I'm not going to do another one though. It, it, no, but it was like the training is the training is insane. The amount totally. of training and dedication that you need to be able to do an Ironman is next level. And also, I think now, I don't know. I always thought after I had my first baby Huckabye that I would that I was gonna go do something crazy and big again. But then I had a baby, and it's just like my priorities have changed. I don't really want to be on my bike for eight hours in the rain. I, you know, I like exercise, I like going for a surf or going for a run or going to do a TRX class at the gym, but I like spending time with my family now and, you know, that sort of stuff. But I think that's fine as well. Like, that's just, you know, how we evolve and change as we progress through this magical journey that we call life. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like with things like um, a triathlon or even, you know, ultra marathons and stuff, it, it, it's it's more of like a goal. And once you train for it, once you complete it, you've got that feeling of, you know, feeling obviously on top of the world. You don't really need to go do it again. You know, I mean, you've already proven to yourself you've done it. Yeah. I mean, surely I can keep talking about this Ironman for what, like the next decade or like, you know, <laughs> at, at least yeah, 20 years. Yeah, at least. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Cool. That's good. And you're faster at running, aren't you now? Your time, because the, the first ultramarathon, you, well, you've done another ultramarathon since 2011. Yeah. Um, and your running is faster since you've recovered. Yeah, it is. It is. Like, that's running over a shorter distance, so I'm faster now. I think that's because my weight to muscle ratio has changed. So I think it's hard. I'm forgetting which way it is. <laughs> I don't know, so it's, I think it's more optimal now for running, but I don't run that much these days. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm not definitely not running every day. But for me, I think running such a great form of exercise when you've got kids because, you know, with the gym, you've got to go to the class at 6 o'clock. You know, you can't rock up at 10 past 6, you can't, it's, it's 6 o'clock. But kids don't really work to a schedule. They have their own timeline in mind. And I think running, I, I did coast to coast in New Zealand. Um, and originally I was going to do the whole adventure race. But then I had my son Huckabye and I thought, okay, well, I'm only going to do the 30 kilometre mountain run. So I, I trained for that with a baby. And most of the runs, I just put him in the pram and took him with me. So it was actually a really cool bonding, bonding, bonding experience for the both of us. Yeah. That is so cool. That is yeah. so cool. Now, I would love to ask you, do you have one, I mean, you've obviously already given us so much wisdom and so many tips on, you know, getting through things and resilience and everything, but do you have one biggest learning that you had through your experience? No, no. And I always get asked, like, Terea, what was the turning point? What was that moment where you just knew that, you know, you were going to do it? And like, I never had that moment. Like, I'm still mm. waiting for that moment to arrive. Um, my journey has just been like a series of the grind, waking up every day, doing the same thing I did yesterday, but doing a little bit more of it, taking those small infinitesimal steps to move me closer towards my goals and to move me closer towards getting out of hospital, getting out of rehab, coming back home, 
walking two laps of the hallway, walking three laps of the hallway, walking five laps of the hallway. That's that's really just been, I guess, my journey so far. So out of anything that I've learned, the main thing would be like to focus on being consistent. And you guys would obviously know this with the app and everything. Uh, you know, you don't get healthy by eating good for one day. It's making mostly healthy choices consistently or doing exercise, you know, most days consistently or practicing gratitude and thinking about what you're grateful for in your life, not just once, but doing it every day. So for me, I think my journey's really emphasized to me that if I'm consistent, I apply myself, I will get results. And I mean, it's not mm. particularly sexy when you say it like that. It's, you know, it's not really a magic trick or a magic pill, but that's been, I guess, my biggest learning. Yeah, totally. I think that is the magic. Yeah. 100%. I mean, it's I, not a shortcut. No, I mean, that's a, I, I read that on Instagram, um, as we do when we're scrolling Instagram, we see all these quotes. It was like, doing the work, that's the shortcut. Mm. Like just, you know, waking up every day and just getting stuck into whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, it's always going to be the most... Yeah, yeah, consistent. The most sustainable way to change, I think. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I guess, because, I mean, you guys would probably know that if people start on a journey to be healthier, they might think to themselves, okay, i got to do a two-hour workout before I go to work, I'm going to drink five litres of green smoothies, and I'm just going to eat oxygen today. That's what I'm going to do. They might be able to do that. But it has to be organic. Organic, organic oxygen. oxygen. Organic, um, <laughs> activated charcoal <laughs> oxygen and they might be able to do that for one day they might even be able to do that for two days or for three days but by the end of the week like they'll just be deep into a bag of chips and a bottle of red wine because they're not I guess they're not really appreciating about that that balance aspect or that aspect that to change yourself you've got to start really slow you know by waking up five minutes earlier and reflecting on what you're grateful for by drinking two litres of water a day. Whatever it is, just making those small little steps that are easier to implement, um, I think that's how you create change over the long term. But I'm speaking to the experts at this, obviously. (laughs) And we did wanted to speak about, you know, social media and, um, you know, things like filters and the fact that there is quite a lot of pressure, I suppose, on um, people people looking perfect on the internet. And Laura and I have both had our struggles in the past of focusing way too much on mm. the way we looked. And, you know, that that was kind of the way we valued ourselves. And it was a really tough time for both of us. But um, we know a lot of women, I mean, men too, go through that kind of time. For someone whose appearance has completely changed, but your confidence is incredible, I think that's something that's really admirable because a lot of people do wrongly correlate confidence with the way you look and like thinking that that's the only way you can feel confident so can you speak to that like how how you define your yeah yeah. and I guess like there's a whole swathe of research called um embodied condition which is just a fancy way to say like how you look affects how you feel and we all know that right like if I rocked up to do a speech I was wearing my Ugg boots pajamas didn't brush my hair didn't brush my teeth Um, I probably wouldn't feel very strong and confident and feel like I'm putting my best foot forward. So for sure, how we look does affect how we feel. And I don't think Mm -hmm. there's anything wrong with taking pride in our appearance. Mm -hmm. And I think if Mm -hmm. doing something for yourself, whether that's getting a facial, putting on red Mm -hmm. lipstick, um, Mm -hmm. getting your eyebrows done, 
getting a new haircut, if that makes you feel better about yourself, power to you. Go do it. Mm. Do whatever you can because there's enough things in our world today that make us feel shit already. So if something makes you feel good about yourself, exercising, getting your nails done, whatever it is, go and do it. But I think that our appearance is not the only way we get our confidence. There's a lot of different Mm. ways we can become confident. We can become confident in taking pride in the work that we do, doing a really good job in our workplace, spending time with people who make us feel worthy, make us feel loved, make us feel, feel good about who we are, giving back, giving back to our communities, being of service to other people. I think all of those things help us to be to be confident. And just a final word on confidence. Um, I guess I don't want to give any of your listeners the, the false impression that I am confident every single day because mm-hmm. I'm not like probably like you girls. Some mm-hmm. days you might wake up, you might feel great, fit, happy. Other days you might feel shit. You might look in the mirror and look tired. You might feel really bloated or you might hate what you're wearing or you might just feel really down on yourself for whatever reason. And again, like I was saying at the start, I think that's fine. I think it's okay to not love ourselves all the time. I think it's okay to to be down about ourselves and to be to be hard on ourselves. Um, I think that's that's very much a part of life. Um, but I always like to think that whenever I, again, become a bit self-absorbed and a little bit introspective and a little bit obsessed about how I look or what my performance is like, again, I like to change my focus and ask myself, well, how can I put my focus into doing the best job that I can do right now? Or what could I be grateful for right now? Or how could I how could I give something back? Or how could I be of service? Or how can I make sure Laura's listeners and Steph's listeners on this podcast listen to this and and find that they get really great value out of it so there you go that's my that's my spin that's my take on confidence but there's a whole chapter dedicated to that in my new book and happiness as well I'm so pumped to read it it's I've got it on audio it's um it's so good yeah I I loved it and that's such great advice and and I love as well the next question actually kind of ties in with that because in I found it so funny. Um, you were hilarious, first of all. You, your sense of humour is just so so great, and I loved when you were speaking about with your book that you were gonna record the whole thing, and then you realised that you can't just read. You have to repeat things, and and oh. you were like, I'm not gonna be standing here for ten hours or whatever <laughs> it was gonna be, um, which I just thought was so funny. Um, but I loved listening um, to your uh, letter at the start yeah. of the book. Um, which was so funny, but I, I wanted to know how important is humour in your life? Look, to me, to me, it's 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 really important. I think when I, because I used to wear a black compression mask to help to help my scars with healing, and I found that really uh, discombobulating because you don't realise how much of what we say to each other is through our facial expressions. So I would crack a joke and the other person, because they could only see my eyes, they would just sort of stand there awkwardly and I'd be like, oh, my God, have I lost my sense of humour as well? Like maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not actually that funny. Um, So for me, my sense of humour, I really appreciate it. And when I meet people for the first time, sometimes I use it 
to try and diffuse the situation and to to try and relax things. Um, I find humour really effective to kind of cut through all of those, you know, those awkward, I'm meeting this person for the first time sort of vibes. So that's how I use it. But my mum is really, really funny. Everyone says she's funnier than me. And my (laughs) brothers all think they're funnier than me as well. So I will tell them that you guys think I'm funny. And hopefully, yeah. The only person in my family who's not that funny is my dad. You've got, there's got to be one. There's always got to be one that's not as funny to keep it serious. (laughs) So we wanted to quickly go back to, I know we've already touched on running, but quickly go back to it and speak about something that, and I'm not sure if you've you've spoken to people, I'm sure you have that say this, but so often we find in our community, especially, and just with people I meet because I love running, people say to me, but Laura, you love running, you're a runner. Mm. I'm just not a runner and I can't do it. And it frustrates me so much because I'm like, if you are able you can do it. Like, just because you, you might not have won your athletics competition in primary school or liked the cross-country races, it doesn't mean you can't be a runner. Because once you, you know, you, you know the feeling, once you get into it, you just feel so good. What is your advice to, I suppose, anyone that's listening that thinks they're not a runner, but really they are? Yeah, okay. So, I think that people should stop doing things that they think they should do. So if someone goes, oh, I really should start running, they either want to start running or they don't. But, you know, it's like when when people say, oh, I really should volunteer in my kids' PNC community, but they don't want to. So then what do they do? They procrastinate about joining it. Then they feel bad for procrastinating. Then they join it. Then they resent joining it. Then they feel bad about doing something that they never actually wanted to do in the first place, which is ridiculous. So I think if you don't actually want to do something, if you don't want to run, you can just own it. Just say, hey, I don't actually like that idea. I don't actually want to do it. I don't want to invest my precious time, energy, and focus into doing something that I don't actually want to do. That's fine. Now, for people who want to be able to run that's a different story um and i guess i really think that all of us can run i think it's how we have evolved i don't know if you read that book uh girls about it's called born to run by it's really really good it's about how we evolved how that's how we evolved to run we would Mm -hmm. uh outrun our prey that's why we are wired to be long distance runners anyway read that book but all of us have that ability in us um so people want to run i would just say just start somewhere if they don't know how to run i would say um see 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 a coach get a running coach or get an expert just like if you're trying to get fit at the gym you see a personal trainer if you're wanting to run get a running coach does your app have a running program in it yeah yeah Yep, that's so cool. So I'm doing um, a running program for mums that's going to come out next year. So if mums want to run with me, they can do that as well. But I think that's the easiest way if you want to run, you don't know where to start, get a coach, do the Kick Girls running app or do my (laughs) running app and just start start from there. Um, I think with running, the the hardest part is the start. The first Mm -hmm. five minutes is always really hard. So I always tell people just put your timer on, run for five minutes and then if after five minutes you're over it, you don't want to do it, you can come back and come home. But I think nine times out of ten, once you get past that first nine minute, um, five minutes and you kind of get into it, it actually feels really good and really, um, 
really energizing and really empowering to do as well. Mm, I think it is that that total mental battle. I mean, like I never really considered myself much of a runner and it was really just because I didn't enjoy it. Like I literally hated every single step and like got to two Ks and I was like, why did I even bother? Um, But it it is true. Like once you kind of get over certain humps and you start to realize that um, when you kind of get over the mental battle and you do believe in yourself and you tell yourself you actually can do it, there is so so much you can get from a run like obviously outside of it being physical exercise there's so much that you can get from it and I'm one of those people that I only go for a run once a week um it is absolutely not my it's probably my least favorite exercise if I'm honest but I really do relate to you in the way that it's like you know you don't necessarily enjoy every step you don't necessarily enjoy the run as it's happening but afterwards you just feel so accomplished and you feel really good for doing something for yourself and um, I think that and getting to that point has has made me enjoy it a little bit more but I think that's why it's so important for moms because as a mom you end up you put all of these other people in your life first Mm. and it can be really hard to, to carve out that time to prioritise yourself and to do something for yourself. And I think, you know, running has taught me so many things, but the main thing it's taught me is that I can actually do hard shit. You know what I mean? Because at the start of the run, you might be really intimidated. You start running, you're already fucking over it. You're just yeah. thinking, this is shit. I don't <laughs> want to do this. I don't want to be running. This is boring. I hate it. And... As you keep running, you kind of enjoy it a bit more, or maybe you don't, which is mm. also equally um, happens just as much. But maybe you don't, and you're running, and you're getting up the hill, and you're slugging up the hill, and you're just thinking, I'm just, you know, I'm just focusing on getting to that next lamppost. I'm just focusing on getting to that lamppost. And then you come around the corner, and you can see your house in sight. It's about 500 metres away, and then you start picking up the pace, and you're running home, and all of a sudden you've got... Your, your voice inside your head is going, you're doing it, you've done it, you're finishing this. So I'm like, bring it home, go hard, bring it home. And when you get home, you just get that real sense of, like you said, accomplishment, but also that sense of, you know what, you didn't want to go for the run, you just went and did it, you got it done, you feel like um, a badass athlete or like, you know, <laughs> a professional runner, and you feel really good about yourself. And I think all of, you know, I've tried a lot of different exercise, but I don't think anything that I've ever tried has come close to that feeling of that, that runner's high that you girls mm. are nodding your head so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty phenomenal. It's <laughs> yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. It's a very rare uh, thing for me, but when it does happen, it's great, I will admit. And it's always the last 500 metres for me. Like, even if I'm just going, I've aimed for a four-kilometre run, it's really after 3.5 that I'm like, yep, I've got this now. And it's like, finally, (laughs) finally I've found the motivation. But I think, think, like, that's that's a challenge, isn't it? Because you've got to accept that you might not enjoy each step that you take and that's the same could be said for any goals like I didn't enjoy every single word I wrote for my new book some of it I was really stressed out about it some of it I was up late early in the mornings I might not have been spending time with my family but you two would be the same you know you're working on your podcast today maybe it would be nicer to watch Netflix maybe it would be better to just (laughs) stay in bed with your dinner maybe there's other things that you want to be doing but I think that's part of achieving something for ourselves is accepting that 
not every single part of it is going to be enjoyable. Some of it is going to be the grind. Some of it isn't going to feel good. But that doesn't mean that that end point isn't going to be just as worthwhile. Mm-hmm. I don't know if what I've said just made sense. Did no, it make absolutely. Sense? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. And you touched on writing your book, Happy, um, and in your letter to the reader, you, you said you signed it jokingly and yelled, show me the money, but then you forgot about it and kind of took a while to actually get into it. Now, this is your fourth book. What made you want to write about happiness and speak to people about it? And what was the process like? Yeah, I guess it was as a result of people... Um, I guess like you two, I get asked a lot of questions and people always ask me questions about happiness. And I think what people might have meant is like, how am I so happy when I've been through something incredibly traumatic? How do I manage to get on with my days and have a really happy and positive mindset? And so I started doing some research. I realized there was something in there. And I guess what I wanted to explore was if it's possible to become happier or if it's something that we're just born with and if it's possible to become happier what are the steps that we can take to do that for ourselves so what are the steps that we can take to make ourselves happier and what i found was yes it is possible for us to become happier um there's lots of little things that we can do from you know spending our money in ways to make us happier, to improving our relationships, to just practicing gratitude every morning, all of those things, we can do that to to help us to become happier. And that's why I started the book off with gratitude. I've spoken about it a little bit on this podcast already, but I really think it's a a very effective way for us Mm -hmm. to change how we're feeling about ourselves and our own lives. So often when we wake up in the mornings, we can immediately focus on, what's not going well, what are the emails that people haven't written to us, what are the things that haven't happened in our businesses yet. And I think when we just stop or short circuit that and instead focus on, well, what is going well for me? What could I be grateful for today? Who are the people that I am grateful for this morning? What's the weather doing? Um, All of those things, it helps us to focus on what's going well for us in our lives. It helps us to, to focus on the positives and that helps us to build a happier and more positive mindset. Oh, absolutely. I find that grad- writing down the three things of, of gratitude every morning helps me a lot with perspective because sure. I think often you can get so caught up in things and then you you look at your gratitude list and you're like, hang on, look look what I have. And, and that to me really helps. Like it just flips a switch in my mind and all of a sudden I'm like, you know, I can forget about this petty, petty thing that was going on and, and focus on what's in front of me. Yeah, totally. And you spoke to a lot of, um, as you already touched on with Eddie Jack, you, you spoke to a lot of people that are leaders in the field of happiness, which is this mm-hmm. the best research I feel that you could ever have done. What, um, what was your favourite, apart from Eddie, piece of advice or one piece of advice that stuck with you that, in your research for the book? Apart from Eddie, um, I think it would have to be uh, talking to the barefoot investor, Scott Pape, because I guess I wanted to explore, like we've all heard that money doesn't buy us happiness, but then we're like, really? Because I think I'd be pretty happy if I was you know, a little bit richer. And so um, Scott Pape has something that he calls, you know, the, the, 
the economics of enough, which is, you know, what's the minimum amount that we need to live and what's the minimum amount that we could have that would make us happy. And he's, he's got the figure of $75,000. So if you earn over $75,000, theoretically, you've got enough to, to meet your minimum needs and that should make you happy. But I guess I also wanted to explore, like, the money that we do have, how can we spend that on things that actually help us to become happier and what I found was that if we spend them on experiences which helps us to create memories and experiences with other people that actually does have a profound effect on our happiness so rather than spending a thousand dollars on a new Dyson vacuum cleaner we could potentially spend that thousand dollars on uh, skydiving with our friends for the release of their new book or for their uh, 25th birthday party but again I want to temper that by saying that we're all unique so for mm. some people a new Dyson vacuum cleaner <laughs> might be a really great experience they might relish yeah. hoovering up the things in their house they might be excited <laughs> by how it gets the dust particles out of the corners of their windows they might really enjoy and appreciate and relish that experience so I'm definitely not telling people like how to spend their money it's just about um helping people to see their money in a different way I suppose I love that and I'm, I'm giggling because I know one of my girlfriends, Jenny, he, she's so excited for this podcast. She saw me post this morning and she was like, oh my God, I can't wait to listen. And she she loves cleaning. Like she thoroughly enjoys it. <laughs> See? It's something that it's brings her, her a lot yes. of joy. Yes, yes. <laughs> so she would probably get excited about like picking a vacuum cleaner yes. and then using it. But like for me, I, I bought these um, AirPods, right? Mm. And... Like, when I used to see people in the city wearing these, I used to think, wanker, like, why do you need those little white things in your ears? Now I've got them, I'm walking around my house with them in my ears, and I feel like such a boss. They are so cool, and they have helped me to listen to so many more podcasts mm. and things because I can put them in my ears. I can listen while I'm cooking and then go hang out a load of laundry. Um, I can make phone calls with them on. Like, they are amazing. So for me, even though they are a material object that I've bought with my money, they're also an experience and they have made my life a lot easier and more enjoyable. So, mm. you know, yep. AirPods, get them. They're not like you at all. <laughs> they are good, except there's nothing funnier than when someone, because you can't see them and they're on the phone. Yeah, and or if you you've got hair the down. Amount of, yeah, and it's like... And I, we always do it at work. I'll start talking to someone and they're like, I'm on the phone. I'm like, oh, I can't see. <laughs> That's why headphones like this are good because then it's like very obvious. Yeah, the big ones. Yeah, that you're working. <laughs> These are my brothers though. They've got like a really long cord. Does he, is he a musician? He is, yeah. He is, yeah. yeah. Why do, why do nice. they have long cords though if they're a musician? I don't know. I think they just need to be able to move around to like, and listen at the same time. I feel like if they're restricted to the area. Ah, oh, okay, that's a good point. Yeah, if they were yeah. more tethered to their electronic mm. devices, that might mm. not be so good for making music. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so it sounds like people are going to get quite a lot from, from your book. Um, and as I said earlier, I'm really excited to read it. But if there was one particular thing that you would hope that readers would get from it, what it, would it be? Look, I think if they just pick up one strategy that they implement mm. that helps them to become happier. Whatever that strategy is, whether it's, you know, 
practicing gratitude for their life, whether it's making their bed in the morning, whether it's doing one small act of kindness for someone else, whatever it is, if they just pick up one of those things mm. and implement it and they see that it makes them happier, um, then I'll be happy with that. I think that's yeah. a really great out- outcome. Oh, that's so nice. And I mean, in a year where it's been so much harder to find joy, your book could not have come at a better time. So we recommend it. I'm loving it. And I'm listening to your to it through my AirPods and it's bringing me a lot of joy. So there we go. Um, <laughs> to finish off the podcast, we always ask the same question and, and I'm so interested to hear what you say about this. What would be one piece of advice, if you would have any, um, to tell your younger self? Yeah, I mean, my younger self was a bit arrogant, so I don't know if she would have listened... <laughs> You know. I agree. Yeah, I listened you, to your. You was it, was it, arrogant? Is no, no, no. I was the same. I listened to your podcast with Osher, and you spoke about how you're a bit of a psycho. And um, as a teenager, and I was like, wow, I can relate. Yeah, well, like once my friends organised a surprise seventeenth birthday party for me. Beautiful thing to do, and I kicked them out because I had to study. <laughs> like, what sort of what sort of seventeen year old does that stuff? that's what I mean you're dedicated I know but you had to make very driven I know but it's like I was also a little bit of a killjoy like I didn't really enjoy enjoy my life I was like no I have to study tonight get out of my house thank you for the party but get out um so if I had advice from my younger self it would be that you know the things that might make you different and unique being really driven and dedicated being a conscientious person um, potentially being a little bit quirky and a little bit unusual like that, those are the sort of things that when you're older are really going to serve you well. So to, to try and appreciate those qualities about yourself, that would be my advice. That. Yeah. Love that. That is so nice. We, oh, we've never had that response before. No, Often responses are quite similar, but that, that's such a great one. Awesome. That's good. That's good that I could be unique and quirky. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly and I, loved, I just love that you kicked your friends out of your birthday, out of your house when you were 17. That is just so fantastic. Yeah, I know. I've, they, they still bag me out about it today. Fair enough. Yeah, I know. I would, I would do the same. I would do the same for sure. Oh, well, thank you so, so much for joining us. You are, as we, you've just provided deep belly laughs, which I mm. think in this, this time are very rare. So thank you so much. And I think that all of your insight and wisdom our community will appreciate so much um and again we cannot recommend your book enough so thank you for joining us thank you so much for your time today ladies it's been really lovely really lovely to speak with you both really appreciate it Thank you so much for listening. That conversation left us just with the biggest smile on Mm. our faces. So we hope uh, that you enjoyed it as well. If you want any information on Teria's new book or how to follow her, you can find that in our show notes. And if you want to find more from us, you can. Steffi, where can you find it? You sure can. Obviously, we're back here every Wednesday with New Kick Pod. But we've also got our website, www.keepitcleaner.com.au. You can find out more about our program on there. Or we're on Instagram as well, at keepitcleaner, at laura.henshaw, at stephclairsmith. And we'll chat to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.